The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. Uh, we've we're, we've come out of off-season mode. We were briefly surfaced um, to talk about, keep you up to date on what's been going on uh, in the off-season now that Memphis football comes off its 6-6 uh, six and six 2021 uh, campaign and moves into 2022. Um, what prompted this is the schedule's out for 2022. So we're going to break down the 2022 Memphis football schedule. We'll also... Uh, wrap up uh, signing day and the transfer portal news that we've gotten so far this offseason from the Memphis football program. And also uh, we'll close today's show with um, some stuff leading into the NFL draft because that's about to heat up. Uh, It's almost combine season. Um, We had the senior bowl with Dylan Parham and Calvin Austin, and now they move on to combine season. So, uh, We'll get a little NFL draft update. Uh, let me uh, welcome in Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat reporter. Evan, um, the schedule is out. We now know, we knew who Memphis was playing. Now we know in what order they are playing them. Um, first thing that jumped out to me is uh, they start on the road at Mississippi State, then at Navy. The home opener is not till September 17th. Um, but give me, I guess, your first impressions of this Memphis football schedule. Sure. I think that stood out to me, too, is you start off with two road games. I think this is the latest Memphis has opened its, will open its season at home since, I believe, 2010, I believe. I'm going to double-check that. But, yeah, it's a late open home opener. But I honestly think the schedule is pretty favorable. I mean, you look at the schedule, it doesn't start off great with Mississippi State. Um but you get Navy early, and as we've talked about before, you face Navy early, and it's good for you to get get that out of the way. Um, you get some pretty good – you get four straight home games after that home opener. So you get Arkansas State, uh, North Texas, Temple, and then Houston. So not bad. You get four straight home games. It, uh, it, the home schedule home- is really interesting in that it's four home games in a row, back-to-back-to-back, and then three home games in a row, back-to-back-to-back. Like, yeah. Um, that's the home, you know, it's like all, it all happened in big chunks. <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting. Cause I guess, you know, if you want your fill of Memphis football, you're definitely going to get it at the Liberty bowl. Um, the one thing I would ask you, Mark, and you, you, you always talked about this. If you look at this home slate, what game stands out to you the most? Because for me, if I'm a, if I'm a, a fan, the biggest games to me look like Houston and UCF. I mean, wh- yeah. there isn't that big, sexy non-conference home games we've seen before. But, but what do you think? Yeah, that's brothers are probably the two. I mean, those are the two best teams, frankly, on the schedule. Period. Um, in terms of record from last year, so I think it was interesting. I did this before we started recording, Evan. So last year, the combined record of the teams Memphis played last year was seventy-one. Uh, excuse me, was 79 and 71. So a point five two seven win percentage. Um, and Memphis, the combined win-loss of Memphis's six wins was 29 and 43. 
Um, they got the two. Oh, that's how that season went. They got the two big wins over SMU and Mississippi State, but Mississippi State ended up seven and six, and and SMU ended up eight and four. SMU kind of died down the stretch, um, and then Nickel State finished six and five in the FCS. And then if you look at their their two other conference wins, it was over a Temple team that finished four and eight and a Tulane team that went two and ten. So um, that's just the reality of it. And then they lost, you know, I think when you look back in retrospect, losing the wait, Temple you said they game beat Temple? was really you said, Wait, you said what? they beat Temple. Is that what you said? No, they lost to Temple. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That looks like a bad loss, you know, really bad loss in retrospect. And then... You know, you lost a, a game to ECU who went 7-5. and five. You lose on, you know, a questionable decision in overtime, but you lose in overtime at home. Um, and then, uh, you know, you lost that game to UTSA who finished 12-2. and two. Now you compare that to this slate, this season, and I'll run down the slate here in a second. But this year's 2022 schedule, the combined win percentage of the teams from last year is 71-79. and 79. So first 0.473 win percentage. Now that's not the end all be all like that's based on last year, but just based off last year, this year's schedule is easier. Um, and uh, in terms of win percentage, but that's not, that doesn't tell the whole story. Cause you know, we see plenty of teams go from three and nine, one year to eight and four, the next, you know, like you can, you know, that's not the, it depends on who you have returning, how they did in the transfer portal, all that stuff. Um, but let's run it down real quick. So Saturday, September 3rd at Mississippi State, Saturday, November 10th at Navy, Saturday, or excuse me, September 10th at Navy, September 3rd at Mississippi State, Saturday, September 17th, Arkansas State at home. That's the home openers, Arkansas State, who went 2-10 and 10 last year, the return of Tom Bowen uh, to the <laughs> Liberty Bowl. He's the AD there now, and, and Butch Jones is the coach, former Tennessee coach. Um, then you've got September 24th, North Texas, who went went to a bowl game last year, um, but was six and ultimately finished six and seven. Former con or future conference mate, North Texas, right, right, a non-conference game that will soon become a conference game uh, if Memphis is still in the AAC in a few years. Uh, then Saturday, October 1st, Temple at home revenge game again. Like we said, that bad loss to Temple last year. Uh, Friday night, probably, I would assume, October 7th, Houston at home. Houston coming off a 12-2 and two year. Their kind of breakthrough under Dana Holgerson might be Houston's last time at the Liberty Bowl as a member of the AAC, frankly. Right. Uh, so that will be, uh, uh, be a tough game. Houston looks like they're going to be pretty good again next year. Then you go Saturday, uh, October 15th at ECU. That ECU program seems to be on the upswing, so that's yep. a tough road game. And yep. then you got another road game the next week at Tulane, who had a very disappointing year last year, but we know Memphis has had trouble winning at Tulane lately. Yep. Um, so you look at that, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight-game stretch before you get in a bye week or an open week. Um, and, you know, the yeah, it's that it feels like uh, – it feels like you need to, and then if you look at the back end of the schedule, though, you know, 
feels like you need to have you need to be you know you need to get four wins five wins at least out of those yeah. eight games um because it gets tough down the stretch and maybe more we'll talk about expectations in a second evan but then so then you get you get they get halloween weekend off not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> um and then saturday november 5th ucf at home so come right back with a big home game against ucf then november 10th you get tulsa at home and then november 19th or so that november 10th by the way Short is week. a thursday night game so you get five days between ucf and tulsa that's going to be a tough turnaround now both the games are at home luckily but that's going to be a tough turnaround there um, then November 19th senior day is going to be the FCS game. They're doing like the, that, like, uh, SoCon Saturday in the SEC. They're playing right. their FCS game. The second to last game of the year at home, Saturday, November 19th against North Alabama. And then the season, uh, finale Saturday, November 26th at SMU tough road game to, to close the year. Although, It'll. I don't know what SMU is going to look like with a new coach and a lot of new players. Um, so that that's a wild card. Um, but you look you look at that schedule. Um, it's not sexy. Um, but my question to you, Evan, does it set up uh, uh, well for a bounce back season? We know you know Memphis went six and six, and it feels like to me. You know, if you're a fan, you look at that schedule, it's easier than last year. You're returning some decent pieces. You know, I think eight and four needs to, you know, that's that's where you set your expectations at a little bit. Like that's what you want, you know, that 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 feels like the bar. Feels like if you're if you're below that, you start to get in the eh, this is a little disappointing. What 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 are we doing here? Um and then if you're above that, it's a great great, great season. Um, what do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> I thought the same thing. I think I thought when I when I did my prediction at the commercialappeal.com, uh, I said seven is possible, but I also said eight is possible. I think seven, eight wins is easy to reach with this schedule, just assuming, you know, from what you said about the records, but also because I think, you know, it's it's very possible for that to happen. I mean, you look at the schedule, there's a good chance that Memphis could be what, four and one going into the Houston game. And yeah, that's there's also there's also a chance they could be there's also a chance they could be like one and four or two and three. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Like no. they're not gonna be they are not gonna be favored at Mississippi State to start the year. No. I think no. it's it's hard to win at Navy. Like Navy's always good at you know, they haven't won at Navy the past two times. Well, remember they won they beat Navy at Navy two years ago. Okay. But that but that was a really ugly game. I think it was 10-7. So they weren't exactly playing their best. So it's two road games. And you know, like you could start 2-0. You're right. Um, let's say they're a slight favorite in the Navy game. Let's say, let's say it's I, I don't know. Navy might even be favored in that game, depending. I don't know what Navy brings back, but it, it's a losable game on the road. Oh, very game. much. Very um, much. And so. You're not going to be favored at Mississippi State. Very much. So yeah. you could you could go you know like and and that those are two hard games to pr- prepare for. You're literally preparing for the polar opposite in back to back weeks. You're going from the air raid to the wishbone, mm-hmm. um, right? So or the triple option, whatever it is. Um, then Arkansas State. I mean that was a, that ended up being a bad Arkansas State team last year, and you get them at home. You know, let's presume that's a win. You know, even though that uh, North Texas. They were kind of the same team as you were, 
in Conference USA, but let's let's give Memphis a win there because um, it's a home game, and let's give them a revenge win over Temple. So I'm saying loss. I'm gonna if I had to guess what Vegas is gonna pick, loss to Mississippi State, a pick 'em against Navy, three home wins. Houston game, I think you're gonna, you know, Houston's pretty good. I think it's a I home think game, though. It's a home I game. Think, I think that's the game. Like, I, in my predictions, I had them losing against Houston because I think Houston, Houston will like a pick them though. You know, because it's, it's, it's home. If we're doing it today on February 22nd. Yeah, it's it's early. It's a pick them. I think Houston's probably going to be getting some preseason top 25 consideration. Um, they got some pieces coming back. I think Houston right now, I'd say, is a loss. But, again, we've seen crazy things in this rivalry. So, who knows? We may get one more classic out of it before they go to the Big 12. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. And Addie CU, Addie CU, like that feels like a, it's you know, a that team I beat think, you at home. They're, they're pretty good. They're, they're on that, the upswing. At Tulane, that's a tough place to play. Yep. UCF, tough. Tulsa at home, you know, but still, like, Tulsa's been – a pretty good team. They've had a better record than you the past two years. Um, North Alabama's a win. And then at SMU is going to be a tough game. So you're looking I, at it and you're going, well, if we're, if let's say, even if we give them the North Texas game, a, a bowl team from last year because it's a home game, um, you're really looking at one, two, three. Like, if you, let's say, like Temple and, and Arkansas State, you're chalking up as wins too. And the North Alabama game, you chalk up as a win. That's four wins right there. You got to find two to get to bowl eligibility out of Mississippi State, Navy, Houston, ECU, Tulane, UCF, Tulsa. You need four, and at SMU, you need and you need four to get to eight from that group. Um, it's not gonna, you know, they're gonna have to play better than last year. I think so. And again, we saw how last year went where. <clears throat> what did you predict their record at in the commercial pill? Seven and I five. Pre- I predicted seven and five. Yeah. And I think I think seven and five is not seven and five gives you a little bit more hope. Eight will make you feel a little bit better. But again, the schedule sets up where they can get seven eight. But it is going to be a tough. Some of these games are going to be a little bit tough. I think. You yeah, know? I mean the question. And there's you know ultimately to predict here in February is a tough task. In that you know there are a lot. Part of why you're. There are a lot of unknowns about this Memphis football team, even though they returned some big pieces. Like, we don't know who Seth Hennigan's really going to throw to. I know there were some hints at the end of last year, guys like Eddie Lewis and Rock Taylor and, you know. Javon Ivory. Yeah, Javon Ivory and, you know, the wet, you know the backfield. You returned several guys. But, you know, ultimately, um, and, you know, with two new coordinators, um, there's a lot of unknowns to see how this plays out, it could swing either direction. It could swing, you know. So um, I think seven and five feels like a safe bet right now. But at the same time, you know, I think that it's not a tough schedule. There's potential there to have a great year um, because there isn't a team on here. Well, you know, there's not a lot of games where you go, man, they're definitely going to win that. But there's also not very many games on here that you go, they're definitely going to lose that game. Um, right. they, they'll have a chance in every game they play on this schedule. It's not like they're going to have, you know, and so um, that will be interesting to see how it plays out. So we know, um, you know, since since the season ended, some different developments have happened personnel wise. Evan, I want to get into those real quick. Sure. Uh, 
now that we've discussed the schedule, unless you have any other schedule thoughts. No, I think that's pretty fine. I think we said seven, eight, seven, eight wins right now looks pretty good. Let's let's get into this this roster situation. What we'll, we'll, some changes? Yeah, we, so we're we're, we're 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 probably what a month away, month and a half away from spring practice, um, and um, we know Seth Hennigan's going to be back. We also know that Grant Gannell is going to get a chance to compete for this starting job once again, despite Seth having you know being a freshman All-American having a great first year uh, as, as the starter. Um, but ultimately, Gannell was probably slated to be the starter until he got hurt right. uh, in the preseason. Um, so that's an interesting development. Um, we've also had signing day. All the transfers are in for the most part. I know there's they haven't shut the door completely on it, adding more people, They'll, you know, but ultimately – most of the roster is now in place, and I think the key storylines are that it felt it felt like, at least on paper, um, Memphis did a much better job retaining its key players this year in the tra- you know in transfer portal terms. Uh, um, we a lot of guys who had the option to come back or not come back. It felt like a lot of the guys who did decide to come back were the guys who were impact players last year uh, and the guys who left for the by and large were guys who weren't getting a lot of playing time whereas it felt like last year Memphis was losing some guys who were getting significant playing time for them um you know so that's my initial impression and then you know they added some nice you know some 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 guys from power five teams um to the roster via the portal um or or i guess i shouldn't say just power five but some you know, transfers through the portal um it seems like what we learned last year is just because the guy came from a big time a big power five school like there's a reason he's transferring it doesn't necessarily it, it does doesn't mean he's ready to make an impact right away um and i think it's probably more prudent to look at what they actually did the previous year and so in that regard it feels like the biggest impact transfer that Memphis added. His name is Jay Ducker, uh, yep. a running back from Northern Illinois, um, because he actually did something last year at Northern Illinois. You know, got a lot of playing time the second half of the year, gained a lot of yards. Um, but mm-hmm. as you look, as you survey signing day, the the aftermath for Memphis and what this roster looks like, how do you evaluate it right now going into spring practice, Evan? Yeah, um, I think you, obviously you mentioned the guy that I thought was interesting was uh, was uh, Jay Ducker. I mean, this guy was the MAC freshman of the year at Northern Illinois, um, ran for over eleven hundred yards, nearly twelve hundred. Um, he transfers, and Memphis adds him. That immediately boosts a running back room, which, to be honest, had some better promise last year with Brandon Thomas, but really still didn't have the same level of production that we're used to seeing. And you can look at the offensive line you need to improve as well. And that's going to be important too, but the running back room needs to have some spark to it. So I think we're going to see how Jay Ducker impacts that this spring. That's probably maybe the number, probably the number two storyline I look at, but to me, besides the quarterbacks, of course, but like to me, I think he's probably the um, impact transfer that I'm looking at as far as production, like you said, um, and you go up and down the, the signing day, I think the main thing for me was Memphis, instead of going to the transfer portal to get, you know, guys at D1 schools, they went back to the JUCO ranks and they got a lot of JUCO players 
to who are who are coming into to, uh, the spring this year. And that's something that Memphis didn't really do last year. Um, they did it more this year. I asked Ryan Tillfield quite a few times, like, what led to the change? Because clearly that didn't happen last year. And he said, well, you know, we, we always want to consider the JUCO ranks. We always want to consider that. But I think for me, the message is they want to try something different than last year where the transfer portal didn't exactly yield great returns. So now they're going to go back to the JUCO rank and see if that works, because that's traditionally where Memphis has gotten some success the last few years. Obviously you look at guys like Riley Ferguson, Antonio Gibson, uh, Tito Wyndham, a few other guys who became impact players under Mike Norvell. Um, I think that's maybe the big thing for me is how will all these Juco players um, impact? Like you mentioned, who are they going to be throwing it to? I think one transfer that I'm interested in is this guy, Anthony Landfear, who's a transfer from College of San Mateo, who's a tight end because Sean Dice is gone. And we literally know nothing about the tight ends behind him. So I'm curious to see if that's going to be an impact Juco transfer. So all, all in all, I think this signing day class was about atoning for last year going into the transfer portal, but a lot of uncertainty with how these JUCO players are going to mesh in because when you bring in, I believe, nine JUCO players, that's a lot to mesh into a team that has a mix of like guys who are already there and young guys. So we'll see how that works, but I'm really curious to see how that um, turns out. There's two ways you can look at it, I think. If you want to be cynical, you can say – you know what, he's, he's recruiting JUCOs because that's who he can get right now. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, or you could you could look at it as, you know, he's recruiting JUCOs. You know, he's recruiting so many because, you know, let's just be honest, the JUCO, when you're recruiting JUCOs, it's very hit or miss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you recruit nine, and if two or three work out, like, that's all, you know, that's what you're looking for, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, they, they, that, that's enough. Um, or, and this is what I think Ryan would probably say, I think he's putting his hands in whatever basket he can get talent from. Like, he's not going to be a guy who says, I'm not going to go get a Juco guy. He's not going to be a guy who says, I'm not going to add a transfer. I'm not going to add a fresh, you know, a high school player. Like, I think he's got his hands in all the baskets in terms of play, you know, player acquisition. And, um, it feels like the Juco one yielded the most this time. Like that's ultimately what it was more than anything. Um, not that he was targeting Juco's. I think like that's, I, I, I lean more towards the for the, the, my first explanation in that it's not necessarily, it's all he could get in terms, you know, like he probably could have gotten a high school guy, but for what this program needs right now, you know, I think, you know, ultimately you need some impact players to, you know, like you're in a situation, he's not on the hot seat, Ryan, but he's like, you know, he, I think there's some pressure on him to win more than he did this past year. And, um, the reality is it's, it's not often an 18 year old freshman is the best option to do that. Now, there's an argument you made the 18-year-old freshman is the best way to build a program. Um, but it's a totally new era. Like, we don't know. There's, like, you know, the template is being set in terms of what's a successful program in the NIL and transfer portal era, era as we speak. You know, there's no, like, there's no, you know, you know, especially at this level of football, not like the Alabama level, you know, it remains to be seen 
what the consistently most successful programs, how they do it at the AAC type level. Um, and I think that's everyone's wrapping their arms around it. And so to pass judgment, you know, I think isn't probably fair to Ryan Silverfield at this point. Let's see how it plays out. It, you know, his strategy last year, whatever it was, I don't think he had a great off season, you know, and we can say that now, now that none, you know, not a lot of the transfers he got worked out, for instance, let's, let's, let's hold the conversation for a year from now. Let's see, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many of these Juco guys ultimately uh, contribute this season. Cause even, you right. know, look at Antonio let's- Gibson, he didn't really contribute as a junior. Right. And he's now a great NFL player, you know? Um, right. <laughs> It takes no. it, it takes guys time to adjust. I mean, we saw that you saw that in seventeen. I saw it here. Like that first year for JUCO guys, it takes a lot to adjust. And so, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being like we we judge this class not just by twenty twenty two, but maybe twenty three. So who knows? Yeah. But if you're Memphis, can you afford to wait that long? So I see this is exactly yeah. why Memphis so, decided. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do. Let's it, go this it's route. It's an interesting dynamic too, because you've got two new coordinators: Matt Barnes on defense and and uh, Tim Cramsey on offense. Yes, yeah, Tim Cramsey on offense. Cramsey from Marshall, Barnes from Ohio State, because um, they're going to go through an adjustment period too as coaches. Um, Evan, what were your impressions of those two guys? They've spoken to the media um, now since being officially hired. Um, what was your initial impression of Matt Barnes and Tim Cramsey? What do you think um, they'll do differently, the same? Like, what, what do you think this – what's your prediction on what this could look like on both sides of the ball? Well, I'll start with Cramsey because Ryan Silfield's made it pretty clear that he wants to keep the offense the same. He wants to run the same offense, so you've got somebody who can come and kind of run the same offense. So with Tim Cramsey, uh, the vibe I get from him is obviously somebody who's very – very kind of like laid back. He's very tough. He's a tough player. He was a former quarterback in New Hampshire. Um, he just he he's he strikes me as somebody who doesn't want to just be the puppet master, if you will. He wants to have a fully engaged process with his offense. So basically, what that means is one thing he said was he wants his quarterbacks to ask questions. He doesn't want his quarterbacks to just go do what he says. He wants them to ask, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And I think he wants them to not just be robots, but players that can think and feel the game and just kind of go with those intangibles a little bit. Um, So I find that to be really interesting because you have two quarterbacks who have been lauded for their intelligence, lauded for how well they know the game. So I think that'll be a good fit. Uh, Of course, the big question is, can he fix the run game? Well, at Marshall, he did a pretty good job, you know, establishing the run. He had some pretty good running backs who were good for him. So I'll be curious to see kind of how he can fix that. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. And as for Matt Barnes, um, it's interesting. You know, you got you get a coordinator who's, you know, you I think you mentioned he's from your neck of the woods and and uh, you said DC area is that right? It's sort of, he's not he's more from just Maryland. I Maryland, would say. okay. Like Urbana is where it is near Frederick, Maryland. If anyone's familiar. okay. Well, I, yeah. So obviously he's somebody who, you know, he's he's a t- he's another tough-nosed guy. He played defense in college. Um, this is a guy who coached at various places. He's coached at he was a graduate assistant in Florida. He was at Maryland. He coached special teams. He's, he's so, called he's called plays at Maryland on an interim basis and at Ohio State on an interim basis. He's called defensive plays. Right. So I find him to be very bright. When I did that story on him, which it was probably one of my favorite 
ones I've done in a while where he talked about how he set up WWF action figures to be like his his first football team and he created attributes for them. Um, it showed me that this is a guy who thinks and breathes football. He's a he, football junkie, loves video, loves to learn, figure these out. I think what I'll be curious about is can he transfer his success at Ohio State to a program like Memphis where you don't have those type of players? And I think that's always going to be an adjustment is how do you transfer your scheme and what you want it to be to a program where maybe you don't have, you know, the players or the type of talent, but you also have learned from facing the Ohio State offense. So he said to me that, you know, he's not worried about the AAC because you had to face Ohio State's offense with all those receivers and their quarterback and whatnot. So I'll be curious how he I have questions more about him because I want to see kind of how he meshes his style in with a bunch of guys who are, you know, who have some stability for the last two years, but now have to learn something new. So I'll be curious because let's face it, the Memphis defense last year finished strong and I want to see how that's going to carry over. So I think on paper, both of them seem pretty good, but we're going to see kind of how they play out and how they mesh out with, um, with this team. Yeah, no, it's uh, that'll, it feels like Ryan is trying to keep, the foundation of both sides of the ball in place, like getting a new voice, but not necessarily new schemes on either side of the ball. Um, it sounds like the on defense, they will be more multiple, but they, you know, as Ryan told me when I talked to him about a month ago, like they were trending that way at the end of last year. Anyways, they were going away from those three man fronts more and more. Um, so uh, defensively, um, no, I have, I think it's, you know, on paper, the hires seem solid, um, and we'll see. You know, I am. It does make me a little, um, I don't know, nervous is the right word. Like it's unorthodox to like not let the offensive coordinator set the offense, offensive scheme. Um, but um, you know, it's not unheard of either. You know, it's I mean, not. It's not. I mean, we, I mean, we know that Mike did it. Mike Norvell did it, but we know Mike was also the play caller. So there's a difference here with that. Yeah, no, it's just like, you know, usually you let the, you know, you, you, I I don't know. It just, it feels like you don't have a guy adapt to your system. You adapt to his system or you have a system. And I guess that's how Ryan looks at it. He has a system that he's having Tim Cramsey run. Um, Because when you talk to Ryan, the way he talks about the offense, he views it as the same offense as they ran under Mike Norvell. The results have not been quite as prolific. Um, they but, haven't been as they yeah. haven't been as prolific. Let's just be blunt; they have not been prolific. Well, and I just think the play calling was different. Kevin John's a different play caller than Mike Norvell, just as Tim Cramsey's going to be a different play caller than Kevin John's, even though they may be running the same offense. And play calling dictates a lot of what a offense ultimately looks like. Um, so, uh, yeah, fascinating behind the scenes things going on at Memphis. Um, We'll wrap things up this way, Evan. NFL draft looms. uh, It's still a few months away, but it's like workout season. Um, And Calvin Austin III and Dylan Parham both went to the Senior Bowl earlier this month and both helped their stock. Uh, Calvin looked really impressive playing wide receiver. Parham showed up heavier, but it was good weight. He was still moving. Um, but he's, he's, he's added, you know, 25 pounds to his frame since the end of the season. And 
if you, I, I don't know, you can recap them better than me. It feels like the mock drafts were very happy with their performance. Now both move on to the combine. I believe you've spoken with Calvin Austin or doing something with him in the lead up to, to the draft. Um, so I guess run through me, Evan, your impressions of what Calvin Austin and Dylan Parr have done so far and what the uh, next few weeks, few months hold for them. Sure. So we'll jump right into Calvin because I just spoke to him last week. Uh, our first draft diary entry is up at commercialfield.com where he talked about the senior bowl, what he's looking for at the combine. And Calvin basically said his mindset was like, look, I'm not afraid of going against better competition. You know, it sounds like he has the same attitude he had as a walk on. Like, I'm going here to do what I can do. I believe in what I can do and I'm going to do that. And we saw if you watch the senior bowl clips, he got so much praise that I believe he was voted the top receiver on the American team by his peers. Um, you see clips of him getting away from guys of separation. We know he's fast, but to do it again in that kind of coverage was pretty cool. Um, in the game itself, um, he didn't get a lot of a lot of catches, but <clears throat> you know, practices matter more than the games at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So I think that said a lot. And you saw, like, if you look at some of the mock drafts, I think NFL.com had him in the, as a third or fourth round guy. Um, Dylan Parham is interesting because as much as we talk about Calvin, I've seen consistently that some of the mock drafts have liked Dylan Parham a bit more. Um, it's maybe a, a day two, day three guy um, at center. Now, you know, Dylan Parham, he played right guard here, but they've been. Well, looking I think at, the thing they like about him, he played every position, I think, but like, every, I think he played four of the five spots on the O-line while he was at Memphis. Yeah, he didn't play. Well, he didn't play left tackle and he didn't play center. But it's funny because he's getting looked at a center. So you're right. That versatility is. I think he did play center at one point. Well, yeah. Check and see. Because I know like last year, I think Manny Adonio Lopez played in 2020. And in 21, Jacob Lights played. So, um, but even like, I believe during the, during the season, I think Jim Nagy from the senior bowl was talking him up as like a center prospect. So it's interesting. Um, but Dylan Parham, I think, had a great you know week of practice. So he's actually climbing up some boards, too, as someone to watch. So I think what I'll be curious to see for both of them at the NFL Combine is obviously everyone wants to see Calvin's 40 time. You know, how fast is Calvin going to run? He told me he wants to run a 4-3. But more importantly, he wants to keep showing how complete a receiver that he is. He wants to show that he can do routes. He can show that he can, you know, be using, you know, I don't think they're going to show kick return duty, but they want to show, he wants to show what he can do in that regard. Um, Dylan Parham, obviously, you know, if he can have a good showing up there, who knows? Memphis might be able to see two guys get drafted. Who knows? But I, I, think, they're both, I think they're both definitely getting drafted. Oh, yeah. I think it's, if, if you say right now, I'd say yes. I'd say right now. So um, it'll be interesting. So we're going to be talking oh, to Cal Parham, by the way, <clears throat> you were right, did not play center at Memphis, played, played everything but left tackle and center. He played right tackle, right guard and left guard. Right. And and he held his own at center. I think there were some clips floating around of him at the senior bowl holding his own at center. So it just shows you how versatile, as you mentioned. So I think it looks good for both of them. Next stop will be the combine, which I believe is next week from as we record this March 1st through the 7th. Um, so we'll be watching to see kind of what they do. We'll obviously report on what um, well, Cal Calvin, Calvin could be a star of the combine because he's got a chance to run you know, one of the fastest, if not the fastest, 40 times. And like that, I don't know, like, ultimately, whether he runs a 4-2 or a 4-3, it doesn't matter as long as he just runs a really fast time. But, you know, that's, that's the sexy, the sexiest competition at the at the NFL scouting combine. And, yeah. And, and, you know, that's the beauty pageant event 
and, uh, and, and Calvin's got a chance to win it. And let's be honest, it kind of helped Tony Pollard and Antonio Gibson a little bit. So, hey, there's yeah. a path for it. So we'll see what happens with that. But ultimately, you know, good for both of them. We'll see what happens. Obviously, Memphis has not announced a pro day yet. So we'll see. We'll probably get a chance to see them there. But, yeah, next stop for them is uh, the Combine, March March 1st or 7th. We'll have more from that. And as I said, I'm talking to Calvin, so we'll have more from his draft diary road. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, make sure you're checking that out over at commercialappeal.com. We'll, uh, I'm sure, be back uh, maybe around the draft, maybe uh, once spring practice starts heating up, once we get closer to that. Um, but that's all we got for uh, today's episode of the pod. Till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan Barnes. Thanks so much. Uh, keep enjoying your offseason. Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.